Hello, and welcome to this episode. I am going to be talking with somebody named Bob McKinney, who I found his YouTube one day as I was getting ready to prepare a class for my students. Now, my students were there in undergraduate class, and we're going over Ash's Big Nine, and I was including foreign accent reduction as part of our scope of practices, Speech Pass. And I found his YouTube video, then I found his book on here's how to do accent modification, a manual for speech language pathologists. So I reached out to him. I said, Hey, Bob, would you like to be on my podcast? He said, sure, absolutely. So you're going to be hearing an episode with Mr. Robert McKinney, MA. He's a speech pathologist. He's got a C's and he holds an MA in communication disorders. He also holds a master's degree in international relations and education. He speaks six languages has lived in six countries, and has worked with clients from over 80 nations. He currently works with predominantly bilingual students as the lead SLP at the Sweetwater Union High School District in California. And at San Diego State University, he teaches undergraduate phonetics and supervises graduate students in the Accent and Communication Training Program. Bob has a 26-year career teaching English as a second language, including 17 years at UCSD's English Language Institute, which is quite a, a spot. Um, in 2019, he wrote his book, Here's How to Do Accent Modification Through Plural Publishing. He currently serves on the board of directors of the California Speech Language Hearing Association, and he's currently president of CoreSpan, or the Corporate Speech Pathology Network. He and his wife, Sylvia, are raising their 12-year-old son as a bilingual speaker of English and Hungarian. And I tell you, I have students who come all the time, how do I get these successful careers? And Bob is an example, I am an example, many others are examples. We live the passions that we that we want to pursue. And so I'm welcoming you to this episode with Mr. Bob McKinney, because he is very passionate about what he does with accent modification. So welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is part of the SLP Spotlight series where I talk with SLPs in a variety of SLP positions and settings, doing things that we knew SLPs did, but also working in areas that we've never thought or heard of SLPs working in. It is amazing the opportunities these SLPs have taken and where their careers have gone. This is storytelling time. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs. I am here with Bob McKinney, and we've already been just chatting a little bit about where we come from and why we're doing what we're, why, why we do what we do. I'm so excited I'm tripping over my words. And I said, Bob, just a minute, let me start the recording because when you get two or more speech <laughs> pathologists who are as passionate about what we do as Bob and I are, the conversation just flows naturally. So you had asked me about my practice around the world. And I was telling you that I've um, Japanese was like the first language I learned and then um, went from there, have practiced in Japan and in Great Britain. And then you yourself said you just were leading into your wife being an SLP and everything else. Yes. So tell us more about that. 
Well, I do want to thank you for having me here. And, and also, it's just been great looking at your site because I didn't know about it. And I want to pass on to my students. And I saw a lot of similarities in the way we approach things uh, because, you know, I think what you said on your site a few times about really thinking like a student and really, we, we don't forget. We don't forget what it was like to be a student, but we want to be out there and be, be a resource for them and really kind of guide them. So I think it's just amazing. It's, one, it's a wonderful resource. But I was starting to talk about my wife a little, and she's a, she's a non-native speaking SLP. She speaks Hungarian, but um, it ties into kind of how I got involved in this field. And, and I'm a career change person. So I loved languages, but not my whole life. I think when I was in high school, I didn't see the point in it, which is really funny because I think it's such a big part of my life now that if I could go back and talk to my high school self, you know, it'd be a really interesting conversation. But it was really in college where it kicked in for me. And I went to Berkeley and then UCLA, and I had the opportunity to study abroad. And it's such a life changer. I went to Germany and back then the programs were really good. I'm not sure what they're like nowadays, but we went for the whole year and we were we had to have a certain proficiency level. So we were immersed in, in the uh, world there, in the academic world. So I went from there and I got really interested in Russian over there. And that kind of led to an interest in, in that language, which I learned. And I ended up getting a master's in Russian. I went to, I met my wife in Russia. She's Hungarian, but I met her 30 years ago and moved to Hungary. So it just kept going, it kept cascading. And I had some time, you know, back in the US kind of going back and forth. I ended up living five years in, in Hungary. And from there, my wife and I, we got married and we moved to South America and spent two years in Chile, which was at the time, you know, I was just having the time of my life and really enjoying it and kind of living on the beach. And I never thought that that would have such a significant impact on what I do in my full-time job, which is I do a lot of bilingual therapy in Spanish and, and uh, a lot of assessment. So that really ended up paying off in, in my career. Uh, and, and Brazil, which I love, absolutely wonderful country and the people are just amazing. But what the, the change for me, the big switch in careers came, I was teaching at UCSD and doing ESL. And when 9-11 hit, we were working with a variety of students from around the world, especially Japan, we had a lot. And I know you mentioned your Japanese connection there. But um, we had a period around 9-11 where the students from Japan stopped coming and we were really, it was just a difficult time. We weren't, I wasn't sure I could make a career out of ESL anymore. And, uh, and I was kind of thinking, well, I need a better, a steady job, you know? And so I ended up finding out about the idea of speech therapy. I really didn't know much about it. It was, it was a mystery to me. And I, I sort of just got into it. it. It was a lot of luck involved in it because I called over to SDSU, which is the top ranked program in our state, and basically just talked about my background. And it's, it just seems like the next thing I knew I was there. I was in grad school. And they allowed me to do a three-year grad school program because I had to make up my undergrad stuff. But again, coming into that grad program, I had two masters already. So I had Russian studies and I had ESL, uh, TESOL we call it. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. But, you know, I'm, I love this field. It's amazing. I tell my students that they're, they're in the right place. It's such an incredible profession. It's so rewarding. So many things you can do. You just can't say enough about it. I, I'm very, I'm thankful in some ways that I didn't know about it because I got to kind of have a fun life in the early days and travel the world and all that. But I think, getting into it now, even if you don't have that chance is still wonderful to you because it's such a great and rewarding job. And a lot of my colleagues in this field travel all the time now too. And, you know, I, I work with someone who's off in, in exotic places every time I ask her. So it, it's just an amazing field and so rewarding.
There's another podcast interview right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I would love to come back and talk about high school because that's my full-time job. That and I be- love the secondary setting. That would be great. It's, uh, the thing that I love about what we do is we can go anywhere, do anything that we really want to do. And I work with people through my website and they're like, oh, I'm burned out and I don't feel appreciated or valued or this or that. Well, then, then change, go do something, figure out, learn. And this is great because uh, I found you because I teach CSD 450. It's an undergraduate class. It's like the senior level class. And we were, I was introducing them to Asha's Big Nine. And I said, you know, there's also um, accent modification. And this is, this is who you listen to this YouTube video. And everybody's like, wow, I had no idea. So excellent. This, you can introduce us to this. Absolutely. And, and um, just to add on that too, I mean, we're just the final point on the, uh, the job is just so great, but I think what I really love when I think about it is not just the flexibility and all that, but how even when it's tough and you have some days that aren't going well, or there's some kind of bureaucracy or something, but I just like that every day we're out there trying to help people and trying to solve problems. It's just such a good feeling that you're trying. We might not always work. It might not work out every time, but we're, we're giving it a go. Um, and I got into the, the, the accent thing. So for me, it came in, it, that was what I was doing before to some extent. Mm-hmm. So I had been, as a language learner, of course, you're learning how to pronounce the words in the language. So you're getting a form of accent modification anytime that you're learning a language. It's, it's phonological instruction or pronunciation teaching, really. So I had been involved in that on, as the receiving it, really, basically, for most of my life learning all these languages. And then when I became an ESL teacher, it was uh, something that I got into because I just found it fascinating. And so I was doing a little bit of accent work along the way, along with, of course, grammar, vocabulary, listening, everything else that goes with learning a language. So I think that played a big role in why I decided to focus on accent modification later or write the book about it. The uh, It's that, that ESL background that I had coming into the program. And I was thinking about how when you're in grad school, it's so intimidating sometimes. And everybody at first is really just nervous about it and, and you don't want to show any weakness or anything. And mm-hmm. I, I guess in the back of my mind, I was probably playing to my strengths to come in and say, hey, I've got this other experience. I, I have a master's in ESL. And they did put me right away. And I did accent modification in grad school. And it was interesting because I, I really did have more experience than my supervisor. So it did allow me to have a little bit of a, a feeling of confidence Um which helped quite a bit. And I was also working through grad school. I was working out at UCSD. And so after class was done, I would drive off and go teach a class that was essentially accent modification. We called it pronunciation and fluency. Mm -hmm. And then basically I started my career as as an SLP and I was working in the high schools. And then SDSU called me back in and offered me a chance to teach phonetics to undergrads, which has been an amazing opportunity. It's been wonderful. And then offered me a chance to go back in and supervise in the program that I took part in. And we, we call it the Accent and Communication Training Program, ACT. And nice. it's a great program. I have eight students a year, four per semester. I'm off in the summer because I, I go off to Hungary with my wife every summer and my son. But uh, we take, so we take eight clients per semester. We have four clinicians and we just, we, it's all free, of course. Um, and we just work on communication skills. But that's, that's kind of how I got back involved in it. And then that inspired me and got me going on the book. Now, tell us about your book, because we haven't mentioned that yet. And that's how I found you on YouTube. Yeah, that's right. And, and so um, well, I, the reason I wrote the book, 
my stu- the students were in my mind quite a bit because, and I'm sure it's the same thing when I think about you and your podcast too. And, and I know some of the background that I read about you that when you're doing this work and you're working with the students, mm-hmm. a lot of times you think, well, I, I should be making more out of this. I should make it so that for everybody, it's a resource. So that was a, a big motivator for me. If I'm already kind of training my students and preparing them and having them read things, why not just have that information ready for them to go? And so that was a big motivation. The other motivation was to kind of bridge the gap because I had that ESL side. So that was very comfortable for me. And when I I could see both worlds, that the ESL people had some real strengths and the SLP people had a lot of strengths too, but they didn't always line up. So I wanted to be the one to just kind of fill in that missing knowledge. I, I want to have a real shout out to Plural Publishing because they're a local publisher here in San Diego where I live. And oh. I'm sure you've heard of them. I mean, they publish a ton of stuff in our field. Not only publish things in the field, but they're very dedicated. You know, they come to the Ash Foundation breakfast and they donate and they're very involved and they have been. They've been very closely tied to SDSU here in San Diego and just a wonderful, wonderful family, really. So I felt very welcome there when I started the project. And I kind of walked in. It was a little bit of a cold call. I just sort of walked in. I mean, I set up an appointment and the next thing you know, we, we did figure out how to do it. And it was a little traumatic. You know, I still have a little PTSD from it. I, I remember going to my office at SDSU sometimes because I had a, I have a son and I couldn't work at home. And I'd sit in my windowless office and even nap in there. You know, I would just work all day on the weekend sometimes. So I'm still kind of traumatized. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm pretty good with deadlines, but you have these deadlines. I'm a lot better, I realized, with the deadlines where it's like Friday, you need to turn this in versus okay, good. See you in a year with your completed book. Um, so you, know, you kind of have to set your own deadlines all, along the way. And then the editing process was very challenging because I think that's where, and that gets kind of farmed out from plural and they did, they did a good job, but just, you can imagine that the, the uh, copy editor doesn't really know anything about our field. Right. So I would get questions, you know, I'd get feedback on there that would say something like, I would say, well, this is a relatively frequent vowel because it's the fourth your most common vowel. And they say, well, aren't there just five? Wouldn't that make it not frequent? You know, so you have to, you just say, well, okay, don't, don't worry about the content. Just tell me where to put the commas, you know. Okay, pause for a second. Cause I know we have listeners who are like, what is the name? What is the title of the book? Oh yes. I so, forgot that part. And they'll probably kill me a plural for not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it's, it's, here's how to do accent modification. And that was, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't my title basically because it's in a series. Here's how to do accent modification, a manual for SLPs. That's right. And, and it's, um, it, the title is because it's part of a series. In fact, my, my coworker out at SSU also has a book in the series too. So it's part of a series. And I think people, I, I hope you believe me when I say it really wasn't for the money because it wasn't. So, so it really was designed as a resource. And I just kind of had to get it out there. And, and I think I mentioned to you that I actually don't make my students buy it, which I just don't have the heart for it. I just give it to them because I only have eight students a year, so I figured, come on. But um, what, what it's done now that it, it's been out there for almost two years now is it's allowed me to have a lot of great connections, including this. So right. it's opened up a lot of doors for me. It's given me the opportunity to advocate for our services and our clients. So that's been, that's been very helpful. Now I feel good about it when, this, when I get past the stress part, <laughs> when it's, now that it's done. Mm-hmm. 
How long did it take you? And when did you publish it? Oh my gosh. Um, it did take quite a bit of time. I'm trying to think, cause I did ask him for a little bit of an extension of some deadlines. Cause I had, I did have some, some issues there that I, well, health issues. I had, I had pneumonia and my, my mom passed away and things like that. So there was a little bit where I needed some extra time and they were very accommodating at plural. So the whole project though, I mean, it's, it's a couple of years really when you add it up from the initial walking in there to the day it came out. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. over two years. But it's an entry point book with lots of details for the new student or the student or the newer SLP going into accent modification. Yeah. I mean, I, I was trying to cover as much as I could as far as really somebody just starting out, but it's, it's clearly pitched for SLPs or grad or students who are familiar with that world. So it's not, it doesn't make any attempt. If you don't have any of the technical background, then it's probably not the place to start. But if you're an SLP or a student, it should be a natural fit for you because you've got the things that I don't talk about. You kind of have that stuff down and then we get into the other things. Um, and I did try to put enough in there. I feel that even advanced providers should be able to get things out of it, I hope. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, I'm sure it's much needed because as far as I know, uh, there aren't any like here's how to here's how to do accent modification therapy in, yeah, yeah. in any programs um, that we teach. We do offer accent mod at the clinic where I uh, supervise and I'm a supervisor for accent mod. So I just love it. Okay, it's, good, good. It's right up my alley. And what? we find a lot of programs that are like commercial programs that are nothing to be, you know, a lot of them are wonderful. It's just those tend to be very expensive and not really designed for just like this quick DIY, get the background and get going. Mm-hmm. What is linguistic discrimination and what is the SLP's role in effectively ameliorating this with accent mod clients? Yeah, this is a hot topic lately. And, and I, that's why I'm glad that we're going to be able to talk about this. It's first of all, linguistic discrimination is, is horrendous and it's, it's universal. I've seen it all over the world. I, I don't think it, I mean, it could be better or worse in different parts of the globe, but it's pretty much everywhere on the planet. What is it for people who aren't familiar with the term? Yeah, I mean, what it is, is really anytime anyone's discriminated against you because of your language use is, is linguistic discrimination. When we talk about it for accent, we're talking about someone discriminating against another person because they sound different. And it could be that you don't sound like the mainstream dialect or whatever the prestige dialect is. But for the in the accent world, we're mostly focused on the non-native speakers and, and what they go through. And you know, I've had a little glimpse of it and I don't like to overestimate it, but I've just living abroad for 10 years and speaking as a non-native in uh, five other languages, I've, I've had a glimpse of it. But again, I was in those countries because I wanted to be there. I didn't have any of those pressures that some of our clients have because they may be forced to leave their country for a lot of reasons. But the problem is that Accents are so powerful and they can really bond people. It's part of what probably made us ex extremely successful as a species, but they also separate us because people are quick to say, well, you're in my group. And then that's the out group. And that's another person. And it, there may have been a reason for that as we were evolving as a species in the modern world, there's no reason for that. And it's harmful because we need to work together as all of mankind to, to work together and, and collaborate. So it's, it's really not, it's a horrible thing. And the stories are, are really, really bad. You can have effects in all aspects of life, including employment, you can have relationships, issues with that, housing, all kinds of things happen and someone's going to make a judgment. There's even, so they'll hear you that you sound different and they're going to make a judgment. Maybe you don't get the job that you want. Maybe you don't get the housing that you want uh, or the relationship. So, so it can have a huge impact on someone's self-esteem and their, and their, or the salary. 
Absolutely. You know, our, our clients tell us all the time, well, I didn't get that promotion. I think part of it was because of my accent. And you know what? They're probably right. I mean, I could almost guarantee it. It's for sure. And there are some good studies that show that it's probably at least a 20% effect on overall earnings. There's also even, and I've seen it with my wife just a little bit. I mean, she's got, she, she, she's highly intelligible, but you can still see situations. People are going to make judgments. It, ha- it happens all the time. But the stories we hear from the clients are just horrendous. I mean, they're just shocking. And, and I gave a talk at ASHA two years ago just on that topic. I didn't talk about accent modification at all, just how horrible the discrimination is. And, um, and I can make it available for your students if you want to. So I'll send you a link for that. But the, there's also reverse linguistic discrimination, which is that you can, you can imagine you hear an accent. If I tell you someone has an accent, you can hear it. And even if they don't, right? And what we're, we'll get into what it means to have an accent. So I hope people can forgive me on that right now. I'm just throwing that out there. But for example, they've done studies which are shocking where they have a native speaker of English deliver a lecture and then they'll give a fake bio of the, of the speaker and say, born in Taiwan and this and that. And then people will say, oh yeah, I noticed her accent. She sounded like she was from Taiwan, right? But this is a native speaker. And so I've even seen that with my son too. He, he would come, I, I've always brought him into my class every year to do a little mini lecture to my students. You know, he's 12 now, but he started when he was five and he'd come in and we would just do a little thing about Hungarian phonology, which is his other language. But my students in the early days, a lot of times would say, oh yeah, I heard, I could hear his accent in English, which was interesting because it was for sure reverse linguistic discrimination because no one he ever met, none of his teachers ever said anything until mm-hmm. we told them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he speaks Hungarian? Oh, I never knew. So you could tell that that effect is there. Uh, but what, what's a little bit frustrating, I think, for, for a lot of us right now is that there has been a movement in our field. It's kind of been brewing for a while, and it's, it's sort of heating up just a little bit, where it almost seems like some SLPs are really uh, targeting accent modification and questioning it and you know questioning is is wonderful and we all we all want that everything we do we should analyze very carefully but there's almost an effort in my mind to to stigmatize it you hear some stories i've heard stories for years where people get their research rejected or something where someone says well this isn't appropriate or this type of service is not appropriate so it's been it's kind of been brewing but it's a little more out in the open right now i think the there are sort of three arguments that i've heard and I, I kind of want to walk through those. I mean, one, one is that even though the, the clients are choosing accent modification, maybe it's not a real choice. Maybe it's a constrained choice. They're not, they're not acting on their own best interest. They're, they're being forced to because of societal pressures. So that's one kind of line of thinking. And then, um, you know, I think that the other one is this, this is probably the most important idea, is that we're targeting some kind of form of idealized English. Right. So, American English or that, which, and that there's a lot of validity to that. I mean, this is a huge question, standard American English, what that means and what are we doing about that? And, you know, so there, there's a lot of validity there. I think that applies to everything we do. And, and I think they probably don't really understand in some ways how accent modification works, but it's certainly something worth discussing. And then the final one is that accent modification places the burden on the speaker versus the burden should be on the, on the listener that the listener should strive to understand. So I think these are kind of the three lines that I've seen out there. Um, when it started to, when I hear these stories, those of us in the field, we're kind of surprised and frustrated. It, it's, it's not, it's, it never comes from the clients. 
as you know, the clients are always extremely appreciative. They seek out our services. And we all have these discussions where we, we've all had clients who've said to us at some point, wow, I didn't know about this kind of thing. I didn't even know this was a thing you could do. This is amazing. I wish I'd known 20 years ago. I'm going to tell all my friends. That's what we hear from the clients. So it surprises us when, since we're not hearing it from the clients. And it, I think it frustrates us because we're all on the same side, you know, and as a career change person, I just love SLPs. I think they're so just, they're just so optimistic and motivated. They want to help people. So it frustrates me to think that suddenly someone's looking at me and saying, what I'm doing is harming people. <laughs> that hurts. It hurts. So we felt it a little bit personally because you don't want to think that you're trying to harm someone. And, and if it's a question of maybe you're doing something that's not as effective as another approach or something, then we, we've got to hash that out. But if it becomes like, well, this whole thing shouldn't be something SLPs do, we just don't get that. So I think that to kind of counter those things that have come out about it, um, and we know accent modification, there, it's not at risk of going away because it's phonological instruction. So if anyone learns a language, that they will learn if they want to learn an oral language, they'll have to learn how to say the words. This is just part of learning a language. So we know that it's here to stay. Um, but I think that the, the arguments about SLPs, you know, the elective service part is, that's how ASHA frames it. You know, they, they say it's an elective service, which I think it absolutely is. I mean, the clients come to us. I would be really uncomfortable with this idea of constrained choice that telling a client, well, you think you want this, but actually I know better and you don't really want it. Or it's not in the long-term good of our society. You might want it for you, but I have to say no because of all of society. So that's hard for me to say to a client, I'm not going to do it. No. Um, I, I think a lot of us, it is, ASHA does put it in with the, the scope of practice says transgender voice therapy or gender affirming voice and communication training, uh, that type of uh, service, because I see similarities there that I don't do work in that field, but I can't imagine questioning someone's motivation if they came to me as a voice trainer and said, I'd like to sound this way or that way, because that's how I feel more comfortable. And if I said, no, you shouldn't, because you, you should be comfortable the way you are. You know, I just don't feel like we have the, the right to decide right. for some right. choice or not, you know, with the, with the idealized language, I don't like the words, the term standard American English. And I didn't know what to put in my book because I don't like that term. I don't think there is a good term. The English with an accent book, which is out in its second edition, is a wonderful book. And I really like her. She calls it SAE, but she puts an asterisk in front because she says it's not even a real thing. And I love her analogy. Lippy Green is her last name. She has this wonderful analogy that I, we tell the clients and I tell my phonetic students. And she says, if I tell a bunch of people in a room to to draw a unicorn, we'll get something that looks very similar, but there's no unicorn. And, I, and it's a great analogy because we, we can describe standard American English, but we know there's no such thing, right? There's no person who speaks it. You know, oh, there's that guy over there. He's the one guy who speaks 100% standard, right? And even writing the book, I didn't know I had been using like mainstream English or, or uh, general American English, which is out there sometimes. And I got pushback on that and some people preferred standard and this, that. I mean, I think a lot of times in the book, I just called it American English. And I put a note in there and just said kind of what we mean. It's like, we're just, 
picking something that's like sort of what you hear on the news that doesn't stand out. And, and so it's, it's really a tricky term. So I get that. It's a huge issue. The thing I think they don't understand is that I think they imagine like Professor Higgins and, and my fair lady, and that, you know, it's like, I'm going to make, I'm going to grab somebody off the street and make them sound just like somebody from the Midwest or something. That's not really what happens. And we have the providers of accent modification are extremely diverse. The ones I've met have spoken every dialect that I've heard in, in American English. And I think people are not aware that we have non-natives who provide accent modification. And I've supervised non-natives. And, and I'd love to talk about some of that at some point. But so I think that idea is everyone is basically training the clients with the dialect that they use. And the, the clients are requesting the dialect that's most helpful for them. So if they are, maybe they're in the South and they, they have a certain way they want to sound because that's what the community sounds like. Well, that's what they do. And, but most of our clients are looking for some kind of neutralized thing that's not going to attract a lot of attention. That, you know, but we're, we're not even, we don't actually work on accent. <laughs> that's the funny part of it. Because we call it accent modification but we work on intelligibility and naturalness. The accent itself is beautiful and wonderful. We, we, don't, we don't focus on that. Well said. Very well, well said. And, then, and then the idea of the whose burden is it in communication? And to me, it's pretty clear that it's shared. So the listener clearly has a responsibility. And we do want to work with listeners and we want to advocate for our clients and we want people to understand that, okay, just because someone sounds a little different or you didn't know that word, give them another chance. But we also have a burden as communicators. If I go, if I move to Portugal or somewhere and nobody understands what I say, mm -hmm. I have to take some ownership of that too, because right. I'm learning that language. So it's a shared burden. I, I hope they'll be respectful and give me some extra time or tell me if they didn't understand me. But I also know that I can't just make up a word and say it if they can't understand it. We, we know there's a shared burden in my mind. It's very, it's very obvious. So it's just been a little bit frustrating to see that, you know, the way we feel. We feel so strongly and passionately about our clients and then to feel that we're doing something wrong, you know. And we have a strong role. We have, we, we have some responsibilities. We need to be good gatekeepers for referrals because... I think that's part of this problem too, is inappropriate referrals, that's not good for anybody. So if somebody approaches me and says, you know, there's a student here in the clinic and she sounds different and I didn't understand one word she said, so she's going to have to go to accent modification. I mean, I'm going to investigate in there and say, are you sure? You know, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. Is it really that that person needs accent modification or not? So we have to be real good gatekeepers and we have to, advocate for our clients, which we think we do all the time. It's just part of what we do, but we're constantly advocating for them, whether it's talking to other peers about them or uh, just promoting in general and also coaching self-advocacy. So we're telling our clients that, well, sometimes we'll tell them, you know, Hey, you might want to get a lawyer. <laughs> you know, we want, we want to make sure they know what their rights are and, and we're good listeners for them because they, they don't always have that opportunity. They've got a lot of times it's very, you feel isolated as a non-native speaker and you've got your other friends maybe who are non-natives and you can really vent with them. But when you talk to the natives, they don't get it. They don't understand what it is to have an accent versus the clinicians who do accent modification. We're kind of good listeners. We've heard all the stories. We know they're true. 
and we can provide some support. But we also say, well, okay, here's another way to say that word. So, so we feel we can really help with that. And then educating the community because we do want that transformational work. We, we want to get out there and tell the community that people sound different and that's not a problem. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And then educating our peers because I think, again, they think that we're trying to make everybody sound alike, which is not what we do. So I know that was a lot, but it's just, it's, it's on my mind lately. It's a hot topic nowadays. It's a hot topic and one that needs to be discussed because the misconceptions, the finger pointing, the blaming, all of that needs to be resolved so we can move forward in our profession, doing what we want to do, helping those we need to help. That's right. And we all want to collaborate and we all want to focus on best practices and we want to kind of police our own too in the accent community yeah. world, right? If somebody's out there and they're doing something that's not good, we want to rein them in. But let's work together. We are going to stop here for, t for right now for this episode because I have a feeling you and I have a lot more we can talk about. So we're going to stop here and you and I are going to pause for 30 seconds and then we're going to come back and introduce episode two. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP, continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.